Hey. All right. So today I needed a few papers, so I had to act them up here. Um, how are y'all doing? My name is Tex. Uh, as I said last time, I've been asked by a couple of people to at least uh, start speaking about dependent personality disorder. It's one of the personality disorders that if you look on Google or Dr. Google, as we joke and call it, um, there's three clusters of personality disorders. And this one is the C cluster. When you go through and find it, and there's a lot of background information that you won't have in a video this short about why is each cluster what it is and what's going on. I'm just going to try to take you straight into the meat and potatoes of this one. Uh, usually I work with people who have borderline personality disorder. It seems to be the most prevalent for therapy because it is the one that has a lot of characteristics about it that bring people to therapy, a lot of uh, serious problems. It's also one of the ones that people can identify and see and in a way feel what's going on. A lot of the other personality disorders, because they're personality disorders, will not necessarily lend themselves to easy self-examination. In other words, this is your personality. This is what you feel is right. So if someone's narcissistic, they have that personality disorder, then they're going to tend to think that what they think is right. Or if they're antisocial, they're going to think, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. So a lot of the things that come up in these personality disorders is they're not easily recognizable by the self. Now, sometimes if you're very introspective, you can look at yourself and think about things and maybe feel that something's wrong and investigate it. But by its very nature, the personality disorders help to disguise themselves from self-introspection. Uh, you need a lot of help sometimes to actually get through and find this out. So to jump over to, to, to dependent personality disorder, um, as with all the personality disorders, you have a certain set of criteria. Just because you have some of the criteria doesn't mean you have the diagnosis. What it does mean is that you are in that range, that you show a couple of characteristics that put you in line with people who have this. As with all disorders, this is something that you've had probably since birth. My personal belief is that uh, most of this is inherited or at least the odds that you will get it. It is genetic passed down and with environment encouraging it, um, it will tend to then actually blossom into the full disorder for good or bad. Um, can you live with these disorders? Yes. Uh, my belief is that they're sort of your way of handling the world. And like anything else, you learn to adapt. And if you don't like what's going on, if you don't enjoy how your personality is making your world different than what you think your ideal world should be, you can work on it and change things. And that's the whole basis of therapy for any of the personality disorders. Is there one that's more difficult or easy to work with than the other? That's, again, another conversation for a different day. Right now, let's stick with dependent personality disorder. Um, I have some stuff that I have to read. So if I look down, I apologize, but I'd rather get it right than tape this thing 50 times over. Um, generally, uh, they say it's about 2.2% of the population. Uh, depending on who did the, the study, um, it's somewhere between zero and 8% is what you come up with. Um, to me, this means that there are a lot of people out there who probably have it and don't know they have it, as with most personality disorders. It lends 
itself to the idea that people with this disorder have difficulty making decisions on their own. They're constantly needing help and support of others. Sometimes uh, people refer to them as being overly clingy, uh, not being able to make any decision on their own. The person who has this may have difficulty doing anything by themselves. They have a genuine terror of being left alone or being left with the responsibility of making decisions totally on their own. Um, along with being submissive, they tend to be help seekers, constantly having other people help them, do things for them, tell them what to do, uh, that, that being needy at, at, a, at an immense level. So I'm going to go through and read the criteria. There's eight, and they say you need to have five in order to actually have the diagnosis. Um, the first one is difficulty making everyday decisions and needs excessive advice requires others to assume responsibility for certain major areas of their life or most major areas. Difficulty disagreeing with others due to the fear of loss of support from that person or approval from that person. Difficulty initiating projects or doing things on their own. A lack of confidence in their own judgment um, in doing things their own way or doing things by themselves. Uh, excessive links to obtain nurturing and support from other people, uh, feeling very uncomfortable when left alone, uh, urgently seeking new relationships for care and support if one ends. In other words, they're not going to be caught without somebody to tell them what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and, and what they feel about it. And an unrealistic preoccupation with this fear of being left alone or this fear of having to take care of themselves. Of the clients that I have had who have had this diagnosis that I was able to identify, a lot of them also had another diagnosis. A lot of times you have co-occurring di diagnosis, anxiety being a big one. Uh, you see a lot of people, of course, if, if you're afraid of things like being alone and making your own decision, you can seem very anxious. Uh, another one is factitious disorder, which to get to the to the meat of that one, it's the idea that going to any length, even to the length of possibly hurting yourself to get other people to care for you. Um, again, that's a, another whole talk, but it's just the idea of for some people, there is no limit to what they will do in order to get other people to take care of them, help them and make decisions for them. So with that in mind, something that you would think, oh my gosh, why, why would you hurt yourself? Or you know, why would you put yourself in that position? Or why would you do that dangerous thing? The idea is, is if I do it, you will help me. And if you help me, this is what I want. See, all these things are about getting your needs met. And in this case, getting your needs met is having someone to either take care of you or tell you what to do. Feeling that special love and attention from either medical personnel or family members or things like that. Um, a lot of times this kind of person attracts certain people to them, people who are willing to exploit them or take advantage of them or somebody who wants a person who can't make their own decisions so that they can be totally in control of that person. So sometimes they draw people to them who, for one reason or another, enjoy that kind of person or think they need that kind of person who is totally needy. It can feel very good to the person who's with someone who has this disorder because suddenly now their opinion is valued. 
uh, a person can be drawn to them because suddenly the person with a dependent personality disorder will praise them and thank them and shower love and affection on them and do all these things for them. The problem occurs when at some point you get too much of this or, you know, or always joke and say you get what you wanted. So be careful what you wish for. And now you have someone who literally can't do anything without you. And it gets to a point where you get aggravated and frustrated with that person. And then you become upset and angry at them for not being able to make their own decision, which in the beginning, that's what attracted you to them. So come on, folks, think about this. For the person who has this condition, they may not realize that they're there, or if they do, they dismiss it or find reasons for it, or they just totally ignore the fact that they're totally at the whim of other people. Uh, where it can get confusing to some people is if you catch that moment when a person who has dependent personality disorder feels abandoned or left out or no one is willing to help them, they will switch modes and for those of you that are familiar with the drama triangle, if you ain't, you should look that one up because it'll really help you understand yourself. People who play the, the victim, which is the people that have this personality disorder, will switch to an angry mode, a persecutor mode, when someone does not rescue them. They want you to be the rescuer. They want you to help them. And if you won't do it, they will get mad at you. They will get furious at you. And then they play this line of, oh, my goodness, you know, I, 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 I normally am not that way. But but again, it's like a, a cornered animal. They have been caught in a situation where they'll do anything, anything to keep that attention, to keep that other person telling them what to do, how to do it, when to do it. Um, they can be overly agreeable. This kind of person, one of the major themes in their life is that they they can be anything you want them to be as long as you tell them what to be. In other words, whatever you ask them to be, they will be in order to keep your attention, to keep you doing things for them. And, and unlike the other personality disorders like histrionic, they're not a big attention grabber, but they do want your attention and they do want you to tell them what to do. Um, uh, one of the biggest quotes you'll have is they'll be telling you, tell me what to do. If this kind of person comes to you in therapy or if you're in any helping uh, type of profession and they really seek out people in the helping profession is because they know that that kind of person will jump at a chance to help somebody. And in so doing, they throw themselves in front of the train so that you'll be able to rescue them. They want you to come to their, their rescue. They want you to tell them how to do. And even when it comes down to something as simple as, you know, you tell them, well, you know, um, Let's do some self-calming or self-soothing skills or exercises. Which one should I do? When should I do it? How should I do it? How long should I do it? Am I doing this right? Um, the amount of assurance they need is unbelievable. Um, if you want some characters that are in the movies that, that sort of resemble this dependent personality disorder, um, I think it was Bill Murray. And uh, was it? Uh, oh, what about Bob? So he's a good example of it. And there's a few others. Let me check my notes here. Seymour uh, from Little Shop of Horrors. That's a good one. Um, so this kind of person that you, you don't normally see them because what happens is they will come in 
and they will seek that attention. And, and if they start to think they're getting found out, especially if they have another diagnosis that occurs with it, like the factitious disorder or something else, then before they will allow themselves to be outed, they will shift or move. They will find another caregiver. They'll find another person to help them. So again, it's, it's a matter of meeting the criteria and the criteria not being there strictly because of a medical situation. Now let's get into the history and background. This is going into also the drama triangle, some other stuff. An individual who has this kind of personality disorder, it was nurtured through their lifetime. They may have started out with this. They kept seeking, though, and finding ways to reinforce it through life, maybe by being you know, the victim or by being uh, helpless, things like that. People cared for them. Uh, like I said, a lot of times you will find that uh, there are people who like someone who needs to be needed. So they, they gravitate to that person in order to get their needs met and feel good helping somebody. This is the perfect person for them, or so they feel. Everybody, though, at some point wants a little space away. They don't want to be smothered. And the problem with someone who has this personality disorder, they will tend to smother people. They will tend to go at great lengths. They will not leave you alone. They will text you. They will call you. They will, they will check. They will make sure you're there. They need reassurance. They may not even be able to work their day without having contact with you. So take a minute and look. If you're suspicious that someone has that and it's starting to become prevalent and it's starting to disrupt your relationship, as always, seek counseling, seek therapy. If you're an individual who after watching this or reading about it, you go, well, gee, those, those might be some of me. I don't want it to be a case of the horoscope where you look at a horoscope and you know, everything you read on the horoscope. Oh, gee, that's probably applying to me. Um, really sit back and think about it and ask some people what they feel. And if there's any suspicion, and like I said, mainly if this is disrupting your life, then you might want to seek therapy. And you might want to explain, you know, to your therapist, you know, I got these things. Can you please go through and, and, you know, check the DSM. Uh, You especially want to find someone who is working with personality disorders. Uh, Not again, I keep saying this is for another day. The majority of therapists that I have met, I cannot speak for the world, tend to shy away from personality disorders. I'm one of those crazy people that just plunges right into it. If you ever look over my shoulder and you see the books, you realize this is what I do. This is, this is the thing for me. This is the challenge. And this is why I do therapy. I work with personality disorders. This one, like I said, is not as common as some of the other ones, but it does filter its way through. A lot of times this kind of uh, personality disorder will lend itself to situations where a lot of trauma has happened because this kind of person sort of puts their self in danger's way unknowingly. It's not like they want to have the trauma occur. They don't want bad things to happen. They sort of put themselves out so that people will take advantage of them and hurt them. And a lot of times there's trauma from an earlier age. And then they found out that when this trauma occurred, they got other needs met. You know, it's, it's the way I explain to people, why would anyone choose to be a victim in the drama triangle? Sometimes it occurs in childhood. If you can't get any attention any other way, and then the one day you fall down and you hurt your knee and you're, you know, you got the scratch on your knee and you go in the house crying and somebody picks you up and gives you, you know, oh, let me kiss your boo-boo. Let me love you. You poor thing. What happened to you? Tell me all about it. 
you've got your attention met. For some people, they realize that this may be one of the few ways to get their needs met throughout their lifetime. So they go from bad situation to bad situation. They may even put themselves into bad situations so that then they have another problem to ask people to help them. And, and I think that's also probably why some people get into the medical part of it, where they actually have done things to hurt themselves so that they can appear in that helpless waif type situation. So that, you know, if you've never been, if you've ever been to a hospital and it's been a good hospital with good nurses, you get an inordinate amount of attention, especially if you're nice and easygoing after all the things that healthcare people go through during the day to have a patient who is patient with them, who's kind to them, who's caring to them is almost like, you know, a godsend. Oh my good. This is, oh wow, this is great. And then they will bend over backwards to be nice to that patient. So that in itself will actually reinforce the patient's repeated uh, seeking of healthcare professionals for services. Um, they will seek out therapists because the therapist will see, oh, you've got the anxiety, you've got the trauma and, Therapists tend to lend themselves to that helping environment where they want to do things and make, make it a situation where their client will get better. And all along, the person with a dependent personality disorder will give you the feedback you need that, yes, you're doing great for me. You're helping me. You're reassuring me. Thank you so much for being here. And as I tell any therapist, uh, for any of the ones that I supervise or any of the interns I've ever supervised, when a client is that happy with you that quick, be scared because <laughs> you may be good, but really, you know, are you, are you the gift of mankind for therapy within your first few weeks of seeing a person? Could be, I'm not saying, but odds are you're being hoodwinked by someone who wants you to feel that way because then your natural response is to give that person extra time, extra help. Uh, I go through and tell people that, you know, signs of, of a personality disorder is most often the three B's. And, and I have to put a whole talk together on the three B's. But uh, the three B's, one of them is this boundary crossing. And when I describe boundary crossing, it's not just your physical boundaries because people will get too close, but your personal boundaries, seeking to be close, seeking you out, wanting to be your friend. You're a therapist. You're not supposed to be someone's personal friend. You're not supposed to be hanging out with them later. You're not supposed to be going to lunch with them. This is a professional relationship. It's a professional helping relationship. But the need for boundaries are supreme in this job, both to allow your, your patients or your clients to get better and you to survive doing the job you do. So again, personality disorders in particular will come across those boundaries and people with dependent personality disorder are one of those personality disorders that will especially seek to cross boundaries and become your best friend and to bring you gifts and to do anything to please you. So again, I always say, you know, uh, beware, what's, what's the saying? Beware of Trojans bearing gifts or something like that. So when people show up and start giving you all this stuff, you know, it, asking yourself, what's going on here? What's really happening? And in this case, the person is trying to get into your, your, your boundary, your zone and become a personal friend so that you will stay their therapist and you will do, you know, and, and the thing is most therapists will love this kind of client because they show up for their appointments. They're always there. They don't come late because they want you to like them desperately. 
So, you know, from that perspective, you think, oh, I've got the perfect client. But as long as you treat it like that, it'll be the perfect client and never becomes better and moves on. Because with all the personality disorders, this is something that's very entrenched in their behavior. So you have to work real hard to help that person find a way out of the distress that they have in their life. So again, I look forward to talking to you later. It's great day. It's Sunday. I'm fixing to go wash clothes. I hope you're having a fun day like I am. Thank you. Information contained in this video is for educational purposes only. It should not be perceived as a substitution for professional medical or psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It does not take the place of psychological or medical services. If you are experiencing any conditions or have specific symptoms and you might suspect that you are suffering from a mental or medical problem that would require mental health or professional medical services, please seek out the appropriate specialist for assistance. If this is a medical or mental health emergency, please seek out the emergency assistance in your local area.